Today's episode is brought to you by Kindle. Great spellers come from great readers, and that's why Kindle is the proud presenting sponsor of next week's 2017 Scripps National Spelling Bee. A single-purpose Kindle e-reader holds thousands of books, ensuring young readers always have a book with them. Features like WordWise support comprehension and vocabulary development, while Kindle Free Time awards achievement badges for reaching reading milestones. To learn more about the ways Kindle inspires a child's emerging love of reading, visit amazon.com slash Kindle for Kindle. Kids. And make sure to tune in to next week's Scripps National Spelling Bee presented by Kindle, Thursday, June 1st at 8 p.m. on ESPN. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 108, and today we are talking about books released on May 23rd, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you doing? You went to Metallica this weekend. What? (laughs) What? It was awesome. Uh, I am envious of the moxie it would take. I don't think that I could go to a Metallica concert. Oh, it was it was quite tame. I'm sure it's just a, you know, a shadow of its former self as far as Metallica concerts go. But it was, I mean, like 60,000 people. Still a lot of people. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a you lot know? of noise. Did you yeah. mosh? No. Did people still mosh, is that a thing? There yes, I was I was up at the top like because it, it's I'm old now. Um you know, and I, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't like literally bang my head. I just figuratively <laughs> banged my head because I you didn't have to wear. Yeah, you've had enough concussion. <laughs> yeah, so I did a little head banging. You know, just because it was my first time seeing them. As much as I've loved them my whole life, I've never actually seen them before. So. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's exciting. yes, and I was not. I was in the majority. They asked like, "How many people? This is your first show," and it was sort of like everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but what have you been up to today? Well, I've had an eventful morning. Um, Amanda, my you know my coworker, our good friend here at Book Riot, her car is in the shop, and so we had cooked up this plan that I would go meet her at the shop when she was dropping off her car, driving my extra car. Like I got a new car a few years ago, and my old beat up Ford Taurus had is already super paid off, and no one wanted it as a trade in. So Bob and I kept it as a you know like hauling dirt around to do yard work car. And so Amanda was going to borrow the Taurus. So I go and I meet Amanda. We ate some tacos, had a nice working lunch. And then she had to drive me back to my house to leave me here. And the gas tank was getting low. So we decided we would stop and put some gas in the car. And when I got out to put gas in the car, like I opened the little door to the gas tank compartment thing. I'm sure there is a technical term for this and I don't know what it is. And there (laughs) was a wasp's nest built inside it, like hanging over the gas cap. So I couldn't reach in to take the gas cap off and put Oops. gas in my car because wasp. <laughs> wow. Those are some stoner wasps. Those wasps <laughs> would go to Metallica concerts. <laughs> they must like the fumes. And I could see like legs and wings from at least one wasp attached to the nest. So I'm like, Amanda, there's, <laughs> there's a wasp nest in here. What do we do? Like I, I had been to yoga this morning. I was wearing flip flops. I was like, maybe I could 
beat it with a flip flop. Oh, no. I watched My Girl too many times yeah, when I was no. a kid, and I was, you know, things were not going to end well. So I'm not proud to say that our first solution was like maybe if we stand here for a minute, some dude will come out of the gas station, and we could be like, "Hello, sir, please handle our wasp situation." Oh. And it's pouring down rain while this is happening. Oh, that's awesome. So I like shut the door and I'm like, okay, the wasp is in there. What do we do? And so I finally was like, I don't know what we, what you, what do you do when there's a wasp nest over your thing? So I called Bob and he was like, okay, just go home, take out the wasp spray that's in the utility room, spray it there, give them a few minutes to die. But we like, it says on the bottle of wasp stuff, don't spray in the rain. <laughs> And it's <laughs> pouring down rain. So Amanda has to follow me out to my car, holding an umbrella over me and the car and the wasps so that I can spray it with stuff. And as soon as the poison stuff hit the nest, at least one wasp started crawling out. So we're like, okay, we're killing them. It's good. We, we came back inside. We waited 10 minutes for it to do its business. We went back outside with the broom this time. <laughs> And like whacked the little nest out of the gas cap area and then it hit the ground and I gave it a couple of good whacks and uh, I thought that that was the end of the adventure like I was always already very proud of us for having nobody screamed we did not squeal like we did try to get someone to handle it instead of us first but we handled it and then Amanda just got back and sent me a message that when she got to the gas station to actually put gas in it there were a bunch of dead wasp larvae like inside the thing so she had to deal with that <laughs> Oh, no. So I should have, like, I apologize if any of you have issues with creepy crawlies or issues with the fact that I just killed those wasps. I am not sorry. It was a very <laughs> exciting morning. <laughs> it was and a I good was story, like, but I'm a little disappointed. I was kind of hoping when you said, and then I got out of the car, you were going to say, and then Amanda jumped into the driver's seat and went to Mexico. <laughs> She stole my car. I wouldn't put it past her, but I no. hope if she if she's gonna Thelma that she'll like hang out long enough to let me believe. Oh, uh. it's, it's like it's always something at Book Riot, but today it was wasps. Yes. Well, do you have some good books to tell me about? I really do. I I think I read this book at the end of last year, so I've been sitting on it for a while. So it's finally here. I'm so excited to tell you about it. It is Black Mad Wheel by Josh Mallerman. He wrote... Oh, the Bird Box guy? Yes, he wrote Bird Box, the excellent, you know, don't look at those things, whatever they are, scary book. And this one has a new sensory deprivation sort of thing, which I will get into. But first I want to say, if you love Bird Box, this is not another Bird Box. So don't get all excited because it's not. Like, I think like a lot of people were disappointed in The Little Friend when that came out, because they were expecting another secret history, and mm. they were very different things. Like, this is different. I mean, sensory deprivation, sort of, you know, this is all about sound instead of sight. It takes place in Detroit. Well, part of it takes place in Detroit. It's like 1957. There's this, you know, boy band called the Danes. They've had a couple of, like, pop hits, and they're pretty well known in the area. They're a four-man band. They used to be um, they or didn't used to be. They are World War II vets, and they have this good thing going, and they start being less famous, so they open a recording studio because they are geniuses when it comes to recording and sound. They're just, like, really famous for the way they make things sound. Uh, and while this is going on, they're recording some bands, helping people put out singles. They are approached by a representative of the U.S. Army, and he offers them a deal. 
He wants to fly the band to Africa, to this desert, to identify a mysterious sound. There is this ominous noise emanating almost like it's coming from the sand in the desert. And he wants them to go and use their smarts to try and figure out what it is. Now, while this is happening, this the book is mixed in with the story of a patient who is recovering in a Midwestern hospital from a near from near fatal injuries. And his recovery is nothing short of a miracle, like how how well he's doing. Um, so the book kind of goes back and forth between this patient and what happened to him, and then goes back to the Danes in the desert and this, you know, creepy, scary sound that that does things that I'm not going to tell you what they are. Um, and I don't want to spoil any more of it because it's so weird. I mean, it, it's definitely it's if you like, you know, creepy bird box, like it's definitely creepy. Um, it's very unusual. There's something that happens towards the end that I was like, oh, that was so awesome. Um, and Josh Mallerman is a musician. He, he's in bands, or he was in bands. And the way he talks about sound and music is amazing. Like, I really loved the language that he used and the, the, the feelings that it invokes. And it's just a ton of fun. Again, it's called Black Mad Wheel by Josh Mallerman. Man, I was just trying to describe Bird Box to Bob over the weekend and eventually got to like, you know what? You're just going to have to read it. He was driving it's... and you put your hands over his eyes. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that it's like this and you'll go crazy if you open them. <laughs> um, um, my first pick this week is super fun too. It's uh, Standard Deviation by Catherine Haney. She wrote Single Carefree Mellow, which was a great short story collection. Was that last year or was that 2015? I think it was two years ago now. Man. I think we saw it because we saw our BEA. Right, you're right. Time is flying. So I love that short story collection. It is so funny and so true to life. And so is this. This is her debut novel. Uh, It's about Graham and Audra. Graham is in his mid-50s. Audra is his much younger wife. They met when he cheated on his previous wife, Elspeth, with her. They have a 10-year-old son who is uh, on the... He has Asperger's. He's somewhere in the spectrum, but they specifically talk about him having Asperger's. And this is like slicing of life for them. Um, Graham is like sort of typical middle-aged guy. Audra is one of those people that can and does talk to absolutely everyone and becomes friends with them. Like she makes friends with the person who's in the elevator and they tell her her their whole life story. And before you know it, she's invited them to dinner. And then two weeks later, when like there's a leak in their roof, she's invited the person to stay in their house. Like their home is just sort of a constant revolving door of uh, people staying with them because Audra knows them. But she's also incredibly useful in this way. Like they live in New York and like if your friend is trying to get an apartment in a co-op building, she inevitably knows someone or knows someone who knows someone who's on the co-op board who can put in a good word for them. Um, She's like going to coffee dates with her gynecologist. And she just is one of those people like her boundaries, I think, you know, are objectively pretty poor, but there are good and bad sides to it. She talks constantly and Graham both loves and hates this about her. And the book is really a look at their marriage and their family life um, and some of the struggles that they have accepting the truth of what their son's life is like and the things that they're worried about him for his experience in the world as he grows up. Um, He's really into origami, so he joins this origami club that's comprised of him, the 10-year-old, and a bunch of middle-aged men who also seem to be on the spectrum. And they give Graham and Audra sort of a look at uh, what they worry that his future might be like because they want him, you know, to grow up and to function well in the world and to meet a partner and sort of they're struggling with all of those things that you can't really control about your child's life, regardless of where they are um, neurologically. 
And then things get a little more complicated. Graham has not spoken to his ex-wife, Elspeth, really in like 10 years, but he bumps into her at a deli. They have lunch. She has a new boyfriend. Audra, of course, thinks like this is great and they should all be friends. So before he knows it, like Graham and his wife are having double dates with his ex-wife and her new boyfriend and acting like this is a normal thing to do, even though you're married to the person you cheated on your wife with and she has to like watch you together. And it just gets into like sort of the monotony, but also so sweet part sometimes of long-term marriage of like the fact that sometimes a person sighs in a certain way that makes you crazy. Like you, if you, you think if you're ever going to have to hear it one more time, you're going to shove them out the window, but also you would miss that if they were gone gets into issues of infidelity, what happens even if you begin to suspect that your partner might be cheating on you. And it, the whole way along. It's really quirky and fun. Like not much happens in the book, um, but it's really quirky and fun and very observant. Catherine Haney is hilarious in the way that she gets at these truths about, uh, well, in Single Carefree Mellow, it was uh, these truths about dating and relationships. But this is like a grown-up version of some of those characters and a, a look at marriage and long-term relationships and the parts of those that are you know ridiculous in ways both good and bad. It's just a ton of fun. It's a quick read. I think it's perfect perfect for summer. Um, and again, it's called Standard Deviation by Katherine Haney. She was hilarious. I remember when we watched her talk, she mm-hmm. she said she said something filthy and we were all like, oh, she said something <laughs> filthy on the BEA stage. And it was hilarious. Yeah. She's great. I wish that she would write a novel like every summer. It would be great. Yeah. She probably wishes so too. And for like, you know, 15 <laughs> days in a week and lots more money. So. Well. Yeah. Um, what I wish is that you would tell me about our first sponsor. Okay, that was a good segue because I had nothing except boobs, which are kind of funny. Um, so, of course, our first sponsor <laughs> is... No, I, w- I was trying to think of something clever that was not bra-related. But our first sponsor is Third Love. Third Love is back, and you know we love them. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes AA through G and also half-cup sizes. And that is Third Love. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and feel great. You've heard us talk about them before. They're amazing. They're so comfortable. And there is a perfect bra for everyone. And you can find yours in just seconds by answering a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder. You go online, you answer the questions, they'll help you out. You can Then you can try one of their best-selling bras free for 30 days. You just pay $2.99 for the shipping. And then one of Third Love's bras will be on its way to you. You cut the tags off, you wash it, you wear it, you do everything that you would normally do with a bra. And if it isn't your new favorite bra, you can always return it or exchange it for free. So you go to thirdlove.com books to find your perfect fitting bra. You try it for 30 days. That's thirdlove.com books. And we thank them for sponsoring. Yes, always. We're always glad to have them. You know, I wanted to tell you, um, my cousin has been ill, so I sent her a care package um, uh-huh. you know, like things that you need when you're not feeling well, like the Die Hard coloring book and a copy of Roadhouse and stuff. And I'm so pleased that the Die Hard coloring book is a thing that exists. <laughs> yeah, I sent her a package of red markers with it because what other color do you need for the Die Hard coloring book? Um, but I sent it in the third love box because, you know, I reuse all my boxes. And so she posted a photo of like all the loot that was in it, like sitting in the box. And one of her friends, who I, I do not know, was like, 
you know, oh, have you tried that third love bra? I hear podcast hosts talking about it all the time. And I was like, have I? Let me tell you. And then she learned way more about a stranger than she probably wanted to know. But I was like, yeah, it's true. I promise. So getting the word out there. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know where to go from there except to say let's just keep talking books. Oh, it's my turn. My yeah. mouth was running for so long, I, I assumed it couldn't be my turn anymore. <laughs> um, okay. This next book is fantastic. It is called The Long Drop, and it's by Denise Mina. She's written several thrillers, mysteries. You've probably read them. She's great. This one, however, is based on the true case of Peter Manuel. The He was dubbed Scotland's first serial killer. And it starts off with Manuel, he wants to meet someone named William Watt. And so they are getting together at a bar. And then it skips ahead to Peter Manuel. He is on trial for eight murders. And you learn that, like, six months earlier, this meeting between him and Watt was like a whole evening-long journey from bar to bar to bar. William Watt is the is a relation of three of the victims that he is on trial for murdering six months later. And they talk about, like all the different things that happen to these people. Um, they, they talk about all the things that they... they I've lost all my words. They discuss, you know, different things about, you know, crime while they're going from bar to bar. Um, you sort of get an idea, like, you don't know who to trust. But I want to, like, emphasize that this is not a thriller like her other books. Like, this does not... You don't sit down and, like, fly through this because she has just reconstructed this point in history like so detailed and it's so amazing it was like she was there which of course she wasn't because she was very little when this happened or maybe not even born but it's like it's almost like Norman Mailer executioner song detailed like it's like this has to have been exactly the way that it happened how she talks about it you know she looks at the cops and the criminals and the spectators in the court who are watching the trial um you know and and their the descriptions of them and their thoughts and their actions are incredible, and it's just a really fascinating work. Um, and I don't want to discourage people from reading it by saying it's not a thriller, but it's more his bloody project than Girl on the Train. Like, you read it for the writing and the amazing things that she does, like, and the amount of detail, because it's really, really remarkable. And it's it's short. It's only, like, 250 pages, but it's such a fascinating piece of time. Again, it's called The Long Drop by Denise Mina. Okay, now I'm out of words, really. Like, I was, like, struggling there. I'm like, ugh, words. All right, well, we're halfway there. I guess you can be living on a prayer. And I will take my next book while you catch your breath. Okay. Um, my next pick is called Chemistry. It's a novel by Wakey Wang. And this is, it's a, this is like a slim little novel. It's very quiet. Uh, the main character, the narrator of it is a woman who is, she's unnamed. We don't know her name. Um, she is supposed to be getting a PhD in chemistry, but her academic career goes a little off the rails. Um, and the book, is, and, and also she has this long-term boy boyfriend that really wants to propose to her. In fact, he does propose to her and she says, let me think about it. And then she says, no, not right now. But uh, he wants to know when he can ask, if he can ever ask. She's not sure she ever wants to marry him, but like, it's great on paper. She thinks that she should marry him. He is also a brilliant scientist. He has a promising career, but she just can't get herself to commit and she can't get herself to like buckle down and finish this PhD. Uh, Her parents are, she's a first generation American. Her parents are Chinese immigrants. 
friends and they put a lot of pressure on her. And so that experience and identity is woven through the book of how she's dealing with figuring out or trying, basically failing and flailing to figure out what she wants in life versus all of these expectations and ideas that other people have for her career, for her ambition, for her marriage, probably the assumption that she'll have children someday. It's um, it's mostly written in the present tense. I feel like that's important to mention because it bo- that bothers a lot of people. It doesn't bother me. Um, and it makes it feel, I think, very present, as it's intended to do, that this is the thing that's happening to this character as she's sort of just mucking through, you know, basically it's like a late quarter-life crisis. Um, it's really difficult to describe how accurately the feelings of this all get conveyed in a novel that is so quiet. But if you've ever been tangled up in the gap between what you're supposed to be wanting to do and what you want to do, or just what you're supposed to be wanting to do and knowing you don't really want to do that thing, you will totally relate to it. Um, the blurbs on it say that this is for readers of Lab Girl, and that is a lie. Like, I loved Lab Girl by Hope Jaron, but the only thing that the books have in common is that like Lab Girl is a memoir by a scientist and this is a novel about a woman who is a scientist, but the stories are very different. Uh, You can't just be like, science ladies, these are the same thing. Um, But I did love both books, so maybe they're onto something there. I don't know. It really reminded me in parts of the Department of Speculation by Jenny (gasps) Awful. Yeah, like Jenny Awful's book is about a marriage that is in danger, kind of in shambles, the pressure of being a new parent um, and like balancing intimacy and temptation and the boredom of being a new parent and the boredom of being married to the same person for a long time. And this is like kind of what happens to that person 10 years previous, I would say. Um, The language is not quite Jenny Awful level, but that's not a knock. It's just that Jenny Awful is amazing. Um, But I really, really love this. I read it in one sitting. Uh, Again, it's called Chemistry. It's a novel by Wei Ki Wang. I want to read that. It's good. I think you'll like it. And you'll read it in like 12 minutes. Yeah. I was going to, and then I set it down, and then I was going to read it again, and then you said you wanted to do it for the show. So I was like, all right, I'll I'll wait. So I did. Uh, Well, thank you for letting me have it. I enjoyed it a lot. Well, I'm glad. What's next on your list? Another little book. We've got like little skinny books section in the middle here. But my last one is enormous, so it makes up for it. Um, My next pick is called August Town. It's all one word. August Town by Kai Miller. And it centers around a character named Ma Taffy. It takes place in Augustown, Jamaica, which, while these events are not real, is based on a real place. So I read in the author's note at the beginning. Um, It's a poor neighborhood where Ma Taffy has spent her whole life. Uh, Ma Taffy is blind. There is a brief uh, explanation of how she lost her sight. Um, Just sort of like a brief mention, but enough that it will probably give you nightmares. It's kind of horrible. Um, And... It's about, like, how she grew up in this place, and she had three sisters who all left and moved out, but she stayed behind, and um, one after another, her sisters sent their youngest daughters to live with her, and so she kind of raised these three girls as her own, like they were her daughters, and then one of them still lives with her, and her son is, like, her grandson, even though it's actually, like, her great-nephew, and he's he's a young boy, he's very sensitive, and one day, he comes home, and Ma Taffy thinks she smells something. She can smell something ominous, like, about him. She thinks that something, you know, dangerous has come home with him and that something is going to happen. Um, And so she starts to tell him a story. She says, you know, have you ever heard the story of the flying preacher man? 
and proceeds to explain to him what that is. But I don't want to spoil any more of the book. It's a very short novel, like I said, and it's about the country's myths and its history and about the divides in class and race and its struggle with poverty. And it's about Ma Taffy's individual story and her dark secrets and her talent as a storyteller and, you know, her and what's going to happen, you know, when you learn what this smell is, like what that premonition means. Um, it's fantastic. It's it's so marvelously well plotted and just great. Also, I went down like the YouTube rabbit hole watching um, Kai Miller talk. He's also a poet and he's done all these interviews on YouTube and I could just listen to him talk forever. He's amazing. Um, again, it is called August Town by Kai Miller. I don't know how I've missed that one on my radar, but I'm going to have to rectify that. It's teeny. It is. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, let me tell you about another thing that's great. It's our next sponsor, Owl Crate. <gasps> you rhymed. <laughs> when you were first talking about August Town and it was like something ominous, I was about to be like, is it wasps in the gas tank? <laughs> Uh, so Owl Crate is a monthly subscription box for bookworms. Every month they send out a newly released young adult novel as well as a whole bunch of fun bookish goodies that go along with the book. There's a different unique theme each month and lots of items included in the boxes are handmade from small businesses like Etsy sellers and most of them are exclusive so you can't get these goodies anywhere else. Owl Crate has also begun sending out books with exclusive cover designs. That is pretty fancy and it makes them even more special and they've recently launched a brand new book box for kids called Owl Crate Junior. It's a similar concept, but the books and the goodies are tailored to kids ages 8 to 12, and at least one of the three to five goodies in each Owl Crate is a usable activity, something that you can, you know, make or play with to encourage creativity, imagination, and exploration. So if you want to try this for yourself, if you're a diehard YA reader or you have a YA kid in your household or your family that you are shopping for, or uh, Owl Crate Junior is more middle grade uh, age is 8 to 12, then give Owlcrate a shot. You go to owlcrate.com to sign up and you can use the code BOOKRIOT10, BOOKRIOT, all one word with the number 10 at the end of it, all smushed together, one code, to get 10% off. So thanks again to Owlcrate for sponsoring. Sounds like a great option. I wish something like that had existed um, for, I guess, kids' books when I was a kid. YA wasn't the thing that it is now when we were teenagers. Spoiler, there's no actual owls in the boxes. (laughs) <laughs> Just so you know. I was kind of hoping you were going to say, one in five includes an, an owl. owl. <laughs> no. Books, uh, but books that are would good, be. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, maybe you want an owl, but also owls make noise and, like, there would be owl poop and stuff to deal with. So book crate, a crate of books is probably a better call. All right. Um, My next pick this week is called Careful, A User's Guide to Our Injury-Prone Minds. It's by Steve Kastner. He is a NASA scientist. He's a psychologist who specializes in the psychology of safety. Um, As you can guess, NASA needs a lot of these people on board. And the book is a look at how um, the world is can be, you know, quite dangerous cars and smartphones and there's drugs and there's, you know, extreme sports that people can, uh, can participate in. And humans are just as fragile as we have ever been. But the number of, um, 
of deaths by accident has been declining pretty steadily up until like this very modern era. We've made great strides in decreasing the number of people that die from accidents. Um, but 50% of all your unintentional injuries and deaths happen at home. And in 2014, over 300,000 visits to the ER were caused by kitchen knives alone. Uh, in recent me. years... I know, not all of them at least. Uh, in recent years, car crash fatalities have gone up. And there's, you know, 91% of the U.S. population lives in a place that's a moderate to high risk of, natu of natural disaster, but only 46% of people think that they live in one of those places. And so the book sort of begins with a look at like, look, we have made the world a lot safer. It's a lot safer to be a person in the world now than it was like 150 years ago. And he grounds it in a bunch of great examples and a bunch of statistics. And he says, but our improvements in safety are really dropping off. The number of accidents is, you know, not tapering down the way that we want it to anymore. And he thinks that some of this is that we've gone kind of on safety overload. Like there's a safety warning on everything. So how do you know which things you really need to be careful of and which ones you don't? And the, it turns out most people don't pay attention to any of the safety warnings anyway. So the guesses that we make about the frequency of accidents and the realities of danger are often very wrong. Like, uh, one of the examples that I can ground in my own life is that people think of bungee jumping as a really dangerous thing, but the number, like the number and the percentage of participants who have died or been injured bungee jumping is really relatively low. Like it's much more dangerous to get in your car and drive to the grocery store. You're at a much higher risk of getting hurt that way than you are if you go bungee jumping. But people have these ideas about what's dangerous and what's not dangerous. And it means that we do a bunch of things that are dangerous in our daily lives and that we could and should be more careful of those things if we just knew what they were. Uh, he says, like, checking your phone when you're at a stoplight. You think that's no big deal because you're parked, but it actually takes your attention about 23 seconds after you put your phone down to shift back to being fully aware. So you check your text at a stoplight, you put your phone back down, the light turns to green, you start driving, especially in those first 23 seconds, if somebody like swerves in front of you or hits their brakes or anything unexpected happens, you're less likely to be able to respond to it. Like we know that you shouldn't hold your phone and text and drive, but we still do that anyway. Um, and that's borne out by the number of accidents caused by text. So we're not really very good at gauging what's dangerous in our lives and what's not and how we could be safer. And the book, like I had a, I had some quibbles with like, I'm not a person who thinks that we should go through life, like always looking for the next thing that could hurt us. Um, but he makes some good points about like small things that we could change to be much safer. And it's a nice bigger picture understanding of how we understand or fail to understand the world really in terms of, um, cognitive fallacies. So I've been rereading Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, and some of the principles of that come in here, that like our, our intuitive guesses and explanations to ourselves about how the world works are often very inaccurate. And Steve Kastner talks about that and about you know how we can be safer and make the world safer for our kids and for the next generation. So again, it's Careful, A User's Guide to Injury-Prone Minds by Steve Kastner. Does he talk at all about the dangers of being eaten by a cannibal? No. Um, well, I read a book about cannibals. <laughs> it's been a few weeks since we had a cannibal book. It's time. Yes. Yes. My next pick is The Best Land Under Heaven, The Donner Party in the Age of Manifest Destiny by Michael Wallace. 
So this book falls within my 100-year rule. You know my rule, like, you know, terrible mm-hmm. things happening. Um, I don't feel guilty about being fascinated and entertained by them, you know, if they happened, like, over 100 years ago. You know, so it's I okay. It's okay to make jokes, like, you know, ain't no party like a Donner party, because a Donner party is, ah! Um, <laughs> but this is a very thorough account of the Donner party and their alarming tale of their journey west. Um for those of you that need a refresher in Manifest Destiny, Google tells me it is the 19th century belief that the expansion of the U.S. throughout the American continents was both justified and inevitable. So we're talking like Oregon Trail and heading west, westward ho. Um, so I'll give you the short version of what happened with the Donner Party. Um, it wasn't a good party. It was a, it, about 1846, I think. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head now. Uh, 500 wagons headed west. And at the end of that wagon train were nine wagons containing 32 members of the Donner and Reed families and their employees. But the going was rough. The nine wagons fell behind, farther and farther and farther behind. Mistakes were made. Tempers flared. People were eaten. So Wallace has written a 500-page account of this journey. But a lot of the history and the true story got buried under the sensationalism of people eating each other. Because... (laughs) Hello. <laughs> so he, he does. He did this incredible job writing this really in-depth profile of, of the people involved. You know, he brings some humanity and, like I said, depth to the situation. You know, and talks about like who they were and their hopes and dreams and what people hope to achieve with this trip and, you know, what's true and what's not. And you know, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, so like I said, five hundred pages, but well worth it. I love live-write history books. They seem to, like, write them just for me. I know I'm imagining that, but to me it seems like they always like to hit in my wheelhouse. Um, So, again, it is called The Best Land Under Heaven, The Donner Party in the Age of Manifest Destiny by Michael Wallace. A giant live-write nonfiction book about the Donner Party does seem like exactly the thing that I would manufacture for you (laughs) if someone was like, make a book from Liberty's Wheelhouse. Did you ever ever watch The Kids in the Hall? Yeah. There's always, cannibals always make me think of that skit where the guy is up uh, sitting at, you know, on trial and, you know, he's going, none of you can understand. You would do anything to survive. You don't know what's happening. And the lawyer goes, (laughs) Mr. Lujic, we're not talking about a plane crash in the Andes. You ate 112 of your fellow passengers during a 35 minute delay. (laughs) Like, I always, that's like my favorite kids in the hall skit, I think. (laughs) oh deep cuts here on all the books (laughs) (laughs) all right many of you many of you listening are too young to understand this reference but that's okay (laughs) but it's on youtube um my last pick this week is called inferior how science got women wrong and the new research that's rewriting the story it's by angela saini this is from beacon press and i have not read it yet i tried and had a bunch of issues with the digital galley and i didn't have a paper copy of it so I'm hoping to track one down soon. And now that it's released, I can just buy one. Um, but I'm super interested in this because it looks at how for 
hundreds of years, it was just taken as given that women were the inferior sex, the weaker sex, that our bodies were weaker, that our minds were less sharp, that our role was to be subservient to men. And even like Charles Darwin asserted that women were at a lower stage of evolution. And science just believed this and propelled it forward for centuries, whether they were looking at intelligence or emotion or behavior. Science has continued to tell us that men and women are fundamentally different. Biologists make claims that women are better suited to raising families or were more empathic and that men excel at like logic and fitting the suitcases into the trunk of the car. Um, but now there's a lot of research, a huge new wave that is taking a new tack at looking at what we know about the differences between the genders, or maybe not so much. Um, so Angela Saini is an acclaimed science writer, and this is a look at how we're really still living in the legacy of a scientific tradition that is just starting to recover from centuries of entrenched sexism and exclusion and prejudice, that the sexist assumptions that are built into them are have been really, really stubborn. Like researchers insist that women are choosy and monogamous while men are naturally promiscuous, despite like scientific and statistical evidence that indicates that's actually not true. Um, but that's the story that we tell. So this is a book that uses new scientific research to break apart old paradigms of explaining gender um, I'm really looking forward to it. Again, it's called Inferior, How Science Got Women Wrong and the New Research That's Rewriting the Story by Angela Saini. Nice. So those are new books this week. What are you going to go read now? Oh, I have so many things to choose from. But I think I'm going to read The Fortune Teller by Gwendolyn Womack. She wrote The Memory Painter, which I read a couple mm -hmm. years ago and loved. And I don't even know what this one is about. I just got excited because I was like, yay, Gwendolyn Womack. <laughs> it is about someone who works in a Manhattan auction house, and she finds a manuscript written in the time of Cleopatra. Ooh. Nice. I like ancient Egypt. That sounds cool. What are that you going to read? Good. Uh, for next week, I think I'm going to start with We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, which is an essay collection by Samantha Irby. With a cat um, she on it? Yes, it does have like a screaming kitten on the cover. <laughs> um, I She is the author of a book called Meaty, but I've never read her work before. The book just looks terrific. And the first line of the synopsis is sometimes you just have to laugh even when life is a dumpster fire, uh, which I am on board for a book with that pitch. So who knows? It's very uh, funny. But uh, well, then I'll be back next week to talk about yeah. it probably. So I think that's where I'm headed. But I also have my eye on the new paperback copy of The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan because I didn't read it last year oh. and I want to like take some time and buckle down with it. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, you, you can read while you're not sleeping because you're having terrible dreams of wasps coming to get their revenge. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that gif of Oprah being like, bees! <laughs> and you get bees and you get bees. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just wasps. glad that we survived our harrowing wasp adventure to record another <laughs> day of all the books. Yes. Uh, so that's our show. Thanks again to our sponsors, Amazon Kindle. And don't forget to tune into the Scripps National Spelling Bee next week. That is my favorite sporting event of the year. It's on ESPN, so it totally counts. Absolutely. Go to Third Love. <laughs> 
thirdlove.com slash books to get your free 30-day trial with one of the bras in their 24-7 collection. And don't forget to use the offer code BOOKRIOT10 when you go to Owlcrate to get your subscription there. If you have something to say to us, you can do that in email at allthebooks at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you would take a minute to rate or review the show on iTunes, it helps other folks find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading. <laughs>